Welcome to Forgotten Football Clubs podcast. 50 clubs across the world, gone but never forgotten. Um, I'm your host, uh, Phil, and I have my co-host here, uh, Rory. What's up, Rory? Hey, mate. How's it going? It's been a, been a bit of a while since we last done a podcast, so it's, it's good to be back. I'm, I'm excited. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, uh, this has been... Uh, uh, a long time coming, but uh, I, as you probably already know, Rory, uh, this this is all down to uh, the release of uh, my my debut book, uh, Forgotten Football Clubs, uh, fifty clubs across the world uh, that only just recently came out. And um, just a quick introduction: we're basically on this podcast going to be covering the fifty clubs that are in the book, um, and we're going to do it randomly. Uh, now today we're actually going to pick number one and number two, chapters one and chapters two, uh, and they would be clubs Sporting Fingal from the Republic of Ireland. And Rory, what's the club you're going to speak about? So I am going to be talking about FC Amsterdam uh, from the Netherlands, or you know, whatever you like to call them from the various marriages they went through, but we'll get on to that later. But for uh, for now, we'll refer to them as FC Amsterdam um, because that's how they're referred to in the book. Of course, of course. Perfect. Uh, look, two great clubs. Uh, I really enjoyed researching about them and writing about them. And um, yeah, hopefully you uh, love le- learning about them as well. Um, look, we'll start off, as I said, with Sport and Fingal FC uh, from the Republic of Ireland, my own country. Uh, and I suppose there's a little bit of an emotional attachment to this story because uh, I actually used to follow Sporting Fingal and they are the catalyst uh, to forgotten football clubs, really, because unfortunately they aren't around anymore. Hence why they are in this uh, in this book and on this podcast. Um, basically, you know, Ireland, uh, without getting into it too much, has 41 clubs uh, that have dissolved or left the League of Ireland, the National League in the Republic of Ireland, uh, mm. since it started in 1922. Um, 41, um, a lot of them clubs are actually from one area, uh, which is, uh, sorry, from two areas, uh, the capital of Dublin and then uh, another county, uh, County Cork. Um, but Sport and Fingal, yeah, they are a Dublin club. Uh, I say that with inverted comments because Sport and Fingal uh, is actually from a county called County Fingal, which, if any of our Irish listeners know, is a big enough area to, to kind of say that they are their own, their own, their own county, if you know what I mean. They're, separate from <laughs> Dublin. They're, they're not separate from Dublin. They are from Dublin. So let's, we'll keep it simple, Rory, okay, uh, for okay. those who uh, aren't from uh, Ireland. Um, basically, they were founded uh, back in 2007, so only recently, really, Um uh, it was a project uh, started by um, the Fingal County Council, so they're the council that runs the area of Fingal, and uh, property developer Jerry Gannon. So Jerry Gannon is, uh, as I said, a property developer, but we'll just, again, keep it simple and say a really rich man. Um, <laughs> and basically, they had the idea that they were going to bring League of Ireland football to the area of Fingal. Uh, it's an area that didn't have football represented, um, so, in contrast, let's just say um, to our listeners outside of Ireland, it would be like, say, um, uh, Ipswich, Norfolk, not having a football club uh, represented in the in the English uh, league. Or, Rory, do you have a better example? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. Um, I suppose it would be something maybe like 
the Scottish borders not having a team in the in the higher leagues or the mm. SPFL, sorry, I should say. Obviously, you have Queen of the South who are based in Dumfries and Gallery, uh, Galloway, sorry, and a number of uh, smaller junior teams and Lowland League teams there. But I'm, I mean, I'm I'm racking my brains because obviously I, I don't I don't want. To, um, I'm I'm fairly certain that there is no senior teams from the actual borders area of Scotland because Dumfries and Galloway, mm. although it is close to the border, some people might not actually consider it to be the borders, so to speak. So the borders is that kind of big uh, empty bit of land with a few towns scattered in between. Um, and what? Well, I suppose there was one prominent team from the borders, uh, which I thought were quite similar to what happened to Fingal, but we'll. we'll you know, talk a little bit more about that later. But yeah, I mean, it's it's basically kind of like the Borders region where uh, there isn't really a representative team um, competing in the, the SPFL or the, or the higher Scottish league, so to say. Yeah, look, I mean, to put it in context, uh, Fingal, uh, the county Fingal area has a population of 250,000 people. Uh, oh, wow. And yeah, there's no football club uh, to represent it. Now, people will argue that, uh, you know, Bohemians uh, and Shelburne, who are both still playing uh, League of Ireland football in the Premier Division are both close enough, but uh, in real, in, in realistically, on a Friday night, it would take probably uh, an hour to get to either of those stadiums from, say, um, the, the capital of Fingal, the, the capital of town Swords. Um, so it's it's not it's not a viable option for many. Um, but back to Sport and Fingal, they 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 were granted uh, basically to play at Morton Stadium, uh, which is a bit of a uh, I'm going to say a playground for League of Ireland clubs because uh, 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 Shamrock Rovers played there uh, another forgotten club uh, Dublin City used to play there um, and it, it, while it is a football stadium has a football pitch it's actually a, a kind of an athletic stadium has a running track around it it's not the greatest to be honest uh, for atmosphere or anything like that um, you can go on YouTube and look up matches and stuff like that uh, especially there's one great match between Rovers and Bowles um, which would probably epitomise what Martin Stadium is like, but uh, you know it did the job, I suppose, uh, to start off uh, with a, with a with a start off club. Um, they adopted the colours, uh, black and green, uh, as their home colours, and their away colours were uh, white. So basically, the Fingal colours, and their crest was a raven um, with a green backdrop. Uh, the raven again is the the kind of crest of Fingal itself. Um, the original plan was that they were actually going to apply for what was known as, I suppose, the third tier of Irish football. It was the Championship A, uh, and they were going to go into that uh, to start off. Um, but another club actually uh, dropped out, uh, Kilkenny City, or EMFA, as they were known, uh, and basically a spot opened up in the first division for Fingal 2007. They took it, why not? Uh, and manager Liam Buckley took over uh, alongside uh, Conor Bourne, who was kind of like um, the. He was a player, of course, but uh, he was also kind of uh, in charge of other other things like support or liaison, uh, managing director, and stuff like that. So they were the two kind of heads of the club uh, going into their first ever season in the first division. Um, it started off, I mean, it was quite, it was quite mo- uh, moderate, really. Um, the first ever game was against uh, a just a relegated Longford Town down in uh, Flanker Park. Uh, I don't think it's called Flanker Park anymore. I think it's called something else, the Community Stadium. Um, it's probably being renamed 
plenty of time since. But they went down, uh, me personally, I actually went down to the game with a few of my friends. Uh, and Swan Fingal actually took the lead, uh, surprisingly. Um, it was a Peter Hines goal from 40 yards. And actually, to this day, it's probably the best live goal I've ever seen in League of Ireland football, uh, which is funny. Uh, he basically lobbed the keeper from 40 yards uh, and Fingal took the lead 1-0. Um, unfortunately, the game ended 5-1 to Longford, so uh, the, the, the cheering was short-lived. But it, it was a good uh, way to whet the appetite for me and my friends to continue then to go watch Fingal around uh, the fourth division around the country, you know, going to places like Athlone, um, Galway, Salt Hill, Devon, uh, stuff like that. Um, and, and, you know, more and more fans started kind of buying into the to Fingal idea, uh, the Spartan Fingal project. Um, now, Liam Buckley, uh, I'll always remember, uh, had a meeting with the fans in Swords when this all started. And their plans were just, to, it was kind of like uh, an electrical bill uh, kind of situation. Are you aware of their situation there, Rory? Uh, I'm not. Tell me a little bit more about them. Yeah, so let's go with Bell in the Spanish League. Uh, are one of three uh, Spanish clubs never to be relegated to Euro 2 Barcelona Real Madrid. Uh, but but yeah. the interesting thing about let's go with Bell is, is that they only sign players that are of Basque uh, heritage or from yes. the Basque region. Yeah, that's um, right. Uh, I've heard so, that yeah, yeah. So they don't sign players outside of this. Um, and, and this is basically what Liam Buckley uh, idea was that, you know, Spartan Fingal would help develop youth from the schoolboy clubs around the area, uh, take them on and would just play them into Spartan Fingal uh, senior team eventually and, you know, grow a bit of a community spirit and attachment with the players, with the team, to the supporters. Uh, in theory, it sounds great. It sounds like a great idea and people jumped on that. And uh, The other thing that they also said that was standing out was that they would get European football within five years uh, and we will get to that now in a few uh, moments' time. But uh, it, it was an ambitious project to start off with, just to say that. Um, but as we'll find out, uh, the ambitions were met. Um, in their first season, uh, as I said, they they relatively done okay. Um, they finished fourth out of the 10 clubs. Um, so it, it wasn't too bad. They won 17, drew 11 and lost eight. Um, but they also had the top goal scorer of that division uh, amongst the ranks. Uh, Rory, I'll, I'll let you guess who the, the top goal scorer was. It wasn't Colin Byrne, by the way. Wasn't Colin Byrne. Okay. Uh, top scorer in their ranks would have been. See, I'm trying to think back from when I was reading the book. Was it the the Libyan player Eamon Zayed? No, no, he jo- he didn't join until they were in the Premier Division. So ah, we're okay. talking about the poor season here. The first season. Um, it wasn't. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what, Rory, right? What okay, we'll do cool. is we'll, we'll, we'll wait until the end of, the, the, end of the, the podcast episode and we'll leave that as a question uh, for our listeners. And if anybody can get it, um, there might be a little prize on offer uh, for that, okay? Um, like the sound of that? Yeah. But let's just say they had the top goal scorer in their ranks uh, in the fourth division. Um, that year, uh, the second season, um, was a little bit better. Um, there was a bit of there was a bit of to and fro though from 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 the first division and stuff like that. For example, Cove, um, were were taken out of League of War and altogether because they didn't get a first division license. Um, 
it was it was all it was all quite uh, bizarre. Really, League One, typical League One. So, Flory, uh, obviously, if you follow League One, you'll know it. it there's never a season when there's no dramatics uh, or no, uh, you know, kind of controversy. <laughs> and Cove that season was uh, was the controversy. Um, but it, um, as I said, Cove, uh, Cove Ramblers. Yeah, Cove Ramblers. Now yeah, they're a certain club now, a uh, great club. But just that season, yeah. uh, there was issues with licenses and stuff like that, and they had to drop down into a championship um, because they just couldn't get a first division license. Um, unfortunately, um, but um, it was the second season that Spartan Fingal put their name in the history books of Irish football. Um, once again, uh, expectations have been realistic, and a playoff spot was the target for uh, Fingal. Um, they were in. They were in a race, basically, in the first division with uh, UCD, uh, a known club that are kind of a, a yo-yo club. They 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 regularly go to the Premier. They obviously get relegated. They obviously go back up <laughs> to get relegated again. It's 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 no skin off their teeth because UCD, University College Dublin, uh, are well funded. They're never going to go bust, uh, and they're you know a well oiled machine, a well run football club because they are one of the biggest colleges in Ireland so why wouldn't they be um, so basically it was between Spartan Fingal uh, and Shelburne to try get that kind of a playoff spot um, and fortunately uh, Spartan Fingal got it uh, they, they they got that playoff spot um, beating, beating Shells in in Pruitt uh, and they had to play uh, a Bray Wanderers side uh, Bray, of course, in the in the first division at the moment, and they have their own struggles at the moment. But um, they play Bray Wanderers in the in this playoff, and uh, they ended up winning, and they got promoted um, to the Premier Division after only two seasons in the first division, um, which was, you know, it wasn't it wasn't expected, but uh, it wasn't a huge shock either. Um and it, it it was something that um you know a lot of people uh, in the Fingal area uh, kind of stood up and took notice. Of. Uh, however, that wasn't even the uh, the big news of that season. Uh, Rory, <laughs> uh, surprisingly, <laughs> you think uh, you know getting promoted in your second season of existence would be um you know the big news, the big hot topic, but it wasn't. Uh, the big news was Sporting Fingal actually won their first major trophy that year. Uh, and that was the FAI Cup, um, oh, okay. which, they, which they won in dramatic fashion. Um, it was played at Tallis Stadium, and they were playing against uh, uh, West of Ireland side Sligo Rovers. Uh, you may know Sligo Rovers uh, as they were a club who beat Motherwell last year in the Europa League. Is that correct? Or the Europa Conference League, is it? I do, yeah. A big, um, well... At the time, I think a lot of people were expecting Motherwell to, to kind of steamroll Sligo because there's that sort of perception of uh, of the League of Ireland over here. Um, but uh, as it would be found out, the manager of Motherwell at that time, Graham Alexander, uh, wasn't very good. Um, <laughs> so whether or not you know it was still a huge result or whether it was more expected, that's that's for other people to decide. Uh, Motherwell, I guess, are, are my local top-tier team, I suppose, uh, because I live not too far away from them. Um, so I do have a bit of a soft spot for them, but it was also quite nice to see Sligo win because it, it proved a lot of people wrong in, in thinking, you know, they thought that the League of Ireland was some kind of diddy league, in your quotes, if you want to say that. Yeah. Um, uh, and Motherwell's fortunes haven't really improved this season much, but they've, they've had a little turnaround. But yeah, so um, it was a it was a big win for Sligo on, on the night, I would say. Absolutely. 
Yeah, and it was a big one for Spartan Fingal to beat Sligo in the final. Now, just to go through uh, quite quickly the, the clubs that they faced Spartan Fingal to get there, it was the 89th edition of the FAI Cup uh, at the time. Uh, they beat Corkside, uh, Blarney United FC, they're, they're uh, uh, you know, a non-league side. Uh, they then beat Munster Senior League side, uh, FC Carlo, in the second round. Um, they then beat at Lone Town, who were the first division club at the time. Um, they they also beat um, uh, Shamrock Rovers in the quarter final. Uh, basically, that was a big scalp. And once they beat Shamrock Rovers, it was kind of like people were thinking maybe their their name is written on the trophy. Um, but they beat them, um, and then they beat Bray Wanderers, who they beat in the playoff. Uh, they also beat them in the semi final to set up the final against. Um, Sligo Rovers, which was played at Tallis Stadium. Uh, I can tell you it was a wet and windy day at Tallis Stadium. Um, Sligo took the lead uh, thanks to uh, Owen Doyle, who's actually playing for uh, St. Pat's at the moment. And you, you may know Owen Doyle. Um, he uh, was a you know his goals goal scoring exploits over in uh, in England uh, with Swindon Town and Bolton Wanderers. Um, but he's now back playing League of Ireland. But yeah, back then he was a man uh, who was uh, heading uh, Sligo Rovers' attack and he scored uh, what looked like it was going to be the winner um, for Sligo Rovers. And a lot of us, you know, were kind of praying, hoping and praying that Fingal could find something. Um, and and they did. Um, they, they, they did. Uh, they, they, they pulled it back, uh, one all in the 89th minute. Um, and then they scored a winner. Do you know who scored the winner, uh, Rory, in the final? I'm putting you on the spot here, but <laughs> very, very much on the spot. Uh, who scored the winner? The winner in the final, uh, Colburn. No, no. Uh, I could tell you who scored the equaliser. Uh, Collie James scored the equaliser from the spot. Uh, it was a penalty. Um, but no, it wasn't Conan Bourne. Well, I'm, I'm not sure then. It was a, a man named Gary O'Neill. Uh, scored in the 90th minute to send Fingal uh, fans absolutely mental. I can tell you, everybody went crazy. Um, it, it was one of those moments that I'll never forget. Um, and one of those moments that, you know, makes Spartan Fingal uh, quite a memorable side in the world. And yeah, just Henry. It, um, it was an 80th minute winner, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was, it was crazy. Um, the, the game itself was attended by just over 8,000 people, um, which is quite small, but Tallis Stadium is a smaller stadium. Of course, the League of Ireland, the FEI Cup uh, final is uh, you now played at the Aviva Stadium, but at the time it was only uh, Tala and uh, 8,000 people watched that um, watched that game. Um, and I can tell you, to be honest, if I'm being honest, most of them were Sligo fans. Sligo probably had brought about 5,000. Uh, maybe more. Fingal probably only actually only had probably about 1,500, 2,000. Uh, it doesn't sound great, and it's probably why, uh, you know, in the end, uh, they're in this book and why we're talking about it on the podcast. Um, but mean, you, you see that, but it's the, I mean, that's, that's a lot higher than um, a lot of the average attendances that you might. Mm. I mean, out with, you know, Celtic Rangers, Aberdeen. Uh, Hibs and Hearts and maybe a couple of other clubs. Um, you know, so, I mean, obviously, I know it was it was over. Well, it was about fifteen years ago now, uh, give or take. So, um, circumstances might be a bit different, but I'd, I'd say that's a that's a fantastic attendance for a for a cup final. Absolutely, it would have absolutely. Well, I mean, um, is is Talat Stadium quite big? Um, I mean, compared to the Aviva, it's, 
Well, it, no, no, no. It's, it's it's quite small compared to Aviva, but okay. it is actually bigger now than it okay. was back then. They've extended. They've they put two new. I think they're actually just finishing off the final stand. Um, but uh, no, Tallis Stadium is quite quite big. The home of Sean Crowers, of course. Um, yeah. who who have sold a record amount of season tickets for this season. So their average yeah. you know, would be around eight thousand. Uh, or that's what they're expecting, maybe even more this season. Um, but uh, winning the FAI Cup, Rory, uh, doesn't only get you the prestigious old trophy, it also gets you a place in the Europa League as well, like any uh, winning any domestic trophy. So in that case, Liam Buckley, who had predicted that Swarm Fingal within five years of starting up would be playing European football, he actually brought it, uh, brought it home uh, and it actually happened. Uh, they they drew Portuguese Premier side Maritimo, who are actually from the island Madeira. Uh, and who's from Madeira, Rory? Uh, it's uh, none other than Cristiano Ronaldo. Of course, of course. So this was kind of a big deal. Um, you know, getting getting Maritimo, who you know lock horns with with the likes of Porto, Benfica, Sporting Lisbon, uh, who are all big clubs in their own right. Um, so Sporting Fingo drew them, and and while there was nothing to be expected, uh, nobody expected Sporting Fingo to to go through on the tie. Um, the, because of recruitments that summer, um, of Glenn Crow, uh, who was quite. Uh, a famous uh, figure in League of Ireland football. He obviously is a Republic of Ireland international as well. Um, and Bose fans will know him uh, as well. Uh, and then, of course, who you mentioned, uh, the Libyan international, uh, Eamon Zayed, uh, also joined uh, Spot and Fingal. Uh, other players like Ronald Finn, Sean Williams, Ronald Finn obviously with Rovers at the moment, Sean Williams, I think he's at uh, Millwall or MK Dons or Portsmouth. He uh, played for all three. I don't know who he's with at the moment, but uh, Sean Williams, he's obviously an Irish international as well. He was playing with Spartan Fingal. So, you know, they had a, they had a quite a good side uh, going into this tie um, and they put up a good fight uh, away from home. They lost the game uh, 3-2 um, over in Portugal in Madeira, uh, which was quite a feat. Um, at one point, we actually thought we were going to win the game. Um, but unfortunately, uh, you know, Madeira's, uh, Madeira's um, experience and, and skill uh, basically uh, uh, told, and, and that's that, that's why um, they, they went, they, they won the game. Uh, and but it wasn't, as I said, lack of trying. Um, they nearly did, as I say, win the game. They nearly drew the game. It was uh, uh, Maritimo grabbed uh, a late winner in the first leg, um, and three two. So Fingal brought them back to Dublin. They didn't play the game in Morton because Morton, as I said, isn't a suitable arena even for maybe League of Ireland <laughs> matches. Never mind yeah. European football. So the, the second leg was played at Dalymount Park. Uh, the home of Irish football and the home of Bohemians FC. And uh, unfortunately. Um, they 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 lost that game as well. Um, three, three two. Um, so it was it was uh it was a short it was a short uh, stay in the Europa League uh for Sporting Fingal. Um, and yeah, it was still interesting though. Um, you know, Liam Buckley promised uh European football, he got it, but it was at this point Sporting Fingal. Uh, the wheels look like they start coming off. Um, in 2008-2009, of course, we all know a recession hit uh, here in Ireland, or probably the whole world, to be honest. 
And yeah. uh, unfortunately, um, Mr. Jerry Gannon, as I mentioned, who was a property developer, uh, he got hit bad by it. Um, uh, a kind of a, I don't want to say a company, but a, a kind of organization known as NAMA. Uh, people in Ireland will know all about them. If you're not from Ireland, you can look it up. But they basically uh, took off, uh, took away his assets, uh, and he kind of went, I don't want to say he went bankrupt, but uh, a lot of his stuff had to be uh, liquidated. And unfortunately, Spot and Fingal were one of those assets, and um, they, they went into liquidation. Uh, the Fingal County Council uh, refused to put any more money into it. And there was attempts uh, by by uh, some of the players to ask uh, some of the fans if they could fund it and maybe uh, make Spot and Fingal a fan-owned club. But unfortunately, as I mentioned, there wasn't enough fans around to, to kind of do this and there wasn't enough appetite and while the recession obviously hit you know, people like Jerry Gannon property developers they were also hitting the pockets of the normal people uh, Joe Soaps like myself and football fans and we couldn't uh, keep, keep the club alive uh, they did play one season in the Premier Division uh, in which they actually finished uh, fourth um, which actually gained them European qualification for the next season uh, and it gained them qualification for the Satanta Cup which is a, an all-Ireland cup that was uh, oh, um, created to kind of uh, build bridges, I suppose, between Northern Ireland and Ireland uh, and their football clubs. It's not around anymore, so that tells its own story. Um, is there, um, is there a, a success of that competition uh, between the winners of the two top tiers in Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland? Um, I think there, there is. I think... I just, the, yeah, it's not the, it's not the President's the- Cup. No, it's the something else. Cup winner and the week winners from yeah, yeah. There is because Dundalk, Dundalk played Linfield only a few years ago, um, and they hammered them. I think something like nine nil and aggregate or something like that. That's, that's yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a not a Linfield enjoyer by any means. Yeah, yeah. So that that did happen. I can't, I can't remember what the name of that trophy is. Uh, but unfortunately, the Tanzania Cup isn't around anymore. Um. It, it, Basically, what happened with that was is that uh, clubs kept pulling out because they were saying, "Look, it's not worth our while traveling up, uh, you know, cost, travel costs, security costs, all that kind of malak." So that was pulled. But uh, unfortunately, Sporting Fingal didn't get to play in that. Uh, UCD actually took their spot. Um, and as I said, despite having a good season in the Premier Division and qualifying for Euro- Europa League once again, they failed to, uh, to to actually play it out because they went bust in 2010 officially. So, therefore, it was only three seasons Spartan Fingal were around. Two in the first season, uh, one in the Premier. They had a little stint in Europa League. Uh, when I say little, they played one uh, one, one uh, kind of uh, uh, tie and uh, they won the FAI Cup. And, uh, yeah, that's basically the, the, the story of Spartan Fingal. Mm. It's, it's quite interesting because from, from obviously what you mentioned in the book and from what you said uh, today, there's a lot of comparisons that can be drawn with uh, the club that I mentioned earlier on that are based basically on the Scottish border, but not within the Scottish Borders Council region, if that makes any mm. sense, uh, which would be Gretna FC. Um, now, for the listeners who... You, you, there's, a, there's a chance that if you're listening to a, a podcast about forgotten clubs that you've probably heard of them um, in some respect. But for those who don't, um, Gretna FC were a team who played in the Scottish division previously. They, they played briefly in the in English football as well, um, and they've been around for quite some time. They they were founded in 1946, uh, and they played in the in the sort of lower echelons of Scottish football. Um, 
And eventually, when when Scottish football restructured, they took the place of Airdrieonians, who went bust at the time um, and were facing a lot of financial difficulties themselves. So they took their place in the Scottish Football League at that point uh, within the, I, th- I think it was the, the third division or division three, it was called, something like that. But basically, what ha- what happened then, and it's quite similar to Sporting Fingal, whereas Gretna obviously have a much more sustained history um, mm. You know, been around for a, for in total seventy seven years. Um, in two thousand and two, Gretna were bought over by a gentleman called Brooks Mileson. Um, now Brooks Mileson unfortunately passed away in, in two thousand and eight due to um due to health difficulties. Um, which is which is absolutely awful and and is actually part of their story. But Brooks Mileson pretty much um funneled and shoveled as much money as he possibly could into Gretna. Um and. At the time, they when it got to the the, the two thousand and four two thousand and five season, they'd signed some big names. Um, they'd signed Steve Tosh uh, from Aberdeen in their midfield. Um, they they even spent a uh, hundred thousand pounds, um, on a winger from Stranraer called David Graham. Now, at the time, for a club in the third third division to be signing a player who and and, and I think Stranraer were in the same division, if not only one tier higher than them, maybe two a push. But to be signing a player for a hundred thousand pounds that's around the same level as you was a huge mm. amount of money. Huge oh, yeah, amount big money, man. Huge amount of money. So they built this kind of team of 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 really 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 good players, and they just went on this run. So, um, in that season, um, in that season in two thousand and four, two thousand and five, I believe it was, they get promoted from the third division, and then the following season they get promoted from the second. And then the following season, they get promoted from the first into the, the Scottish Premier Division, which is insane. <laughs> As that's three back-to-back promotions, at the very least. Mm. Um, it's not even three back-to-back promotions, it's three back-to-back titles. Uh, and in that period of time, they scored just under 300 goals. Absolute insanity. So, obviously, at the time, this was kind of being coined as, as you know, the fairy tale story of Gretna. Now... Rumours started coming around that, that Brooks Mileson wasn't doing too well in terms of his health, okay? Uh, and this is when things started to get a little bit shaky. But before anything actually happened in terms of that, um, Gretna actually managed to make it to a Scottish Cup final, um, <laughs> which, which is mad. Um, so basically, I think it was a 2007-2008 season um, they went on this Scottish Cup run, um, which was uh, sorry, no apologies. It was the two thousand and six Scottish Cup uh, that they went on their cup run. Uh, they beat Dundee three 0 in the semi final, which was massive in itself. Um, and they became the first team from the third tier of Scottish football to actually reach the final. Uh, so they were playing Hearts or Heart of Midlothian in the final. So huge, huge draw. You know, you're you're playing one of the best teams in the country. Um, yeah. And but they actually managed to take them to penalties. Um, after the true one one, which again is, is absolutely nuts. Um, unfortunately, they lost out on on penalties, which is a big heartbreak. Um, so they they didn't win that, but because they came runners up, they they actually um, were able to qualify for the UEFA Cup. Yeah, and I know I'm kind of laughing, but it's just one of those things where you know it's it's this team that within three years has went from absolutely nothing to being one of the biggest names in the country because you know people are like, well, who are these guys? You know, yeah, um, sounds sounds familiar. Uh, yeah. I actually remember. I remember this story because I know who they got in European yes. football. They got uh-huh. Derry, didn't they? 
Yeah, that, that's absolutely right. So, um, familiar names, obviously, uh, Derry, one of the, well, I mean, you, you'll know more than me. As far as I'm aware, they're one of the bigger sides in the League of Ireland. Yeah. Um, and a very good team in that, obviously, you know, Paddy McCourt and various other names coming through. Um, but Derry beat them uh, 7-3 on aggregate. Um, now, because Gretna Stadium, um, I've got the name here, Radio, Radio Park, because Radio wasn't up to UEFA standards, they actually had to play their um, home games for the season that were in the Scottish Premier League and in the Europa League um, at Fur Park, which is Motherwell Stadium. Um, now, this isn't ideal for another reasons. Um, firstly, um, Gretna to Motherwell is an, at least an hour drive. It's 75 miles away. So mm. for a team, that's obviously going to be a huge ask. But for fans, it's going to be even bigger. Um, so because of Brooke Mileson's uh, health problems, unfortunately, he had to take a step back from the club. And I, I, don't, I don't know who it was. You know, there, there's different rumours around it, and I'm not going to go into that. But basically, um, his finances that were holding the club up basically got pulled from underneath them overnight. Um, and by 2008, they were gone. And that is well, actually around, that. around the same time as Spartan Fingal. So, uh, <laughs> to, to, to around the early or the late 2000s wasn't a great time for Irish or Scottish football uh, but it sounds like um, it sounds like the recession here yeah. well I, it probably yeah, it probably was one of the reasons uh, well that, that's yeah. what I was going to say so I mean just, just before we, we kind of quickly move on just to sum up it's quite interesting how you've got these two teams here that started off as you know mm. really bright, bright flames so to speak and they yeah. just got out so so quickly um, and I wonder if I wonder if the example of Gretna was actually something that maybe inspired um, was it Jerry Gannon uh, yeah. who put the money at the sport and Fingal. It'd be quite interesting to know if there was a link there and they do some research into it because you know obviously by the time so Gretna liquidated in two thousand and eight um, and obviously Sport and Fingal were founded in two thousand and seven. So um, it'd be quite quite interesting to find that out. But yeah, so I mean, obviously you can draw the similarities between the between the two teams. Um, it's quite an interesting comparison, actually. It kind of sums up. Um, the, I suppose it kind of sums up what I kind of call the the Satanta era, if you like. Not for any yeah. particular reason, just because I associate it with it. Um, well, I could tell, I, could, I could tell you, I could tell you as we go through other episodes uh, and go through the other uh, clubs in the book that that feature. Um, it is a familiar story. Uh, that some football clubs, as you put it, uh, Rory, um, start off as a bright bright flame and then just kind of. Wilt away after you know three three yeah. seasons. There's one or two clubs in, 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 that, that I've written about that only lasted one season. Uh, in yeah. my research, even other clubs uh, only lasted half a season. You know, it, it, unfortunately, it is something that uh, either rich owners or whoever's in charge of the project um, they try run before they can walk. Basically, yeah. that that's the phrase I always use. Yeah, absolutely, it's um, yeah, bright flames, but they burn out just far too quickly. And mm-hmm. as much as you know, kind of retrospectively, at the time, it was a lot, you know, the media were saying, oh, you know, this is a fairy tale, it's a, a fairy tale cup run for Grenada, etc., etc. Retrospectively, it, it's, it was nothing of the sort. Um, mm. You know, ultimately, they had a lot of money, they were given a lot of money, they spent it, and then the money got taken away. Um, and in my opinion, anyway, that that's not a fairy tale. So, um, no, nope. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, we're actually going to now go on to our next club here, um, which is not from the the Ireland, Scotland, England, or anything like that. Uh, it's a mainland Europe club, 
uh, FC Amsterdam. But of course, mm. Rory, if you've read the book uh, like you have yourself, you'll know that it's not all uh, black and white uh, with these uh, lads. Uh, and they weren't always called FC Amsterdam. Uh, do you want to tell us a bit about them? Absolutely. Uh, really, really interesting club, actually. So um, FC Amsterdam and name were founded in 1972. But beforehand, they actually merged. And it was a merger between two clubs. I'm going to absolutely butcher these translations. <laughs> so You know what? I'm not even going to try. Um, so it was a merger between two clubs. The first was called uh, Blauwit, I believe. Yeah, Blauwits. There you go. Uh, which in English translates into the blue-white uh, because they wore blue and white, mm-hmm. uh, and DWS. Um, and beforehand, those clubs actually came around because of the results of different mergers as well. So there's a long history of, of these clubs kind of coming into being through mergers. Um, and as we see in clubs from our respective nations, well, I'm assuming for Ireland, but certainly in Scotland anyway, um, that's something that was quite common, particularly in the, the early 1900s when football was sort of struggling to find its feet in a professional sense in other countries. Uh, funny, um, enough, funny enough, Rory, in Ireland, and sorry, just a point, in Ireland, merging uh, wasn't uh, a big thing. Uh, and I found this throughout uh, the book that it's more predominantly a mainland Europe thing um, yeah, where a lot of clubs, especially places like Germany, Holland, uh, France, uh, merged together uh, and hungry and stuff like that but uh, Ireland yeah no Ireland you, there's, there's not a lot of clubs uh, merged together no see in the, the in the early 1900s in Scotland there was a, a couple of mergers I think but it was mainly you know sort of teams that were based maybe close to each other that were struggling to attract fans mm. um, and some of them actually some of them ended up liquidating as well and, and becoming defunct the most recent notorious example, if you like, was a plan by, now I think it was in the 70s or 80s, it was the the Hibs chairman at the time, or the Hearts chearman, actually suggested that uh, Hart Midlothian and Hibernian Football Club, both of Edinburgh, merged. Now for the listeners who don't know, um, the Edinburgh Derby is contested between Hearts and Hibs. Um, it's a huge derby, it's a great spectacle most of the time. <laughs> um, but... You know that the suggestion, even that those two clubs would merge, was was absolutely ridiculous. But anyway, I digress. So going off in tangents, um, as I'm as I'm prone to doing. Um, <laughs> basically, FC Amsterdam came into being after this merger in 1972. Um, now the the clubs that merged into them had had quite a a, a decent history beforehand as well. So uh, DWS um managed to gain promotion to the Eredivisie and then win it in back to back seasons. Um, and that was in 1964, so that was quite interesting. Um, and DWS were actually the last club to win the Dutch Eredivisie title, uh, who didn't wear a predominantly red and white home jersey, which I found quite yeah. interesting. Uh, obviously, the others being PSV, Ajax, Feyenoord, um, Azed Alkmaar, and, and FC Twenty. So yeah. I, I, I thought that was quite a cool wee fact. That was really interesting. Um, DWS, after the merger, um, continued on as an amateur club. Uh, and with a lot of clubs who end up merging, that's what you see is, is a lot of the teams who have merged, if they go through a name change, uh, they continue in, in some form of element. And uh, from what I said earlier on about, you know, some clubs merge because they struggle to attract home home fans, it's going to be quite a common theme with MC Amsterdam, or in my opinion anyway, mm. so, uh, just because of the different mergers. Um, so MC, so MC Amsterdam were born. So basically... Um, in the 1973-74 season, the club managed to finish uh, fifth 
in the Eredivisie, which is a, a pretty good finish, I'd say. I mean, you're 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 talking about an era where Feyenoord were were really really going strong. Uh, yeah. Ajax, you still had you still had PSV Eindhoven, you know. So fin- finishing fifth out of all of those is is a pretty a pretty pretty good going. I mean, the Eredivisie, as much as people wouldn't like to think, is is still a very competitive league. So. Um, you know that, that that's pretty good going, uh, and that, that actually got them qualification into the UEFA Cup. Uh, so the first team they played was Hibernians, based in Malta, twelve uh, nil mm-hmm. on aggregate. You know, easy going, absolutely steamrolled them. Uh, yep. So on they went. But you know, considering it was a first UEFA Cup game, um, well, I mean, well, I mean, as, as FC Amsterdam was the first UEFA Cup game. They only managed to attract three thousand fans, which which isn't great in, in my opinion. Um, whereas Ajax managed to attract twenty nine thousand for their, their their game in the same competition in the same round. Yeah. So you know it's it's not not really a strong attendance. Um. So in the second round of the FA Cup, um, they were drawn against Inter Milan, <laughs> which uh, you know from reading it, you know, and, and a lot of people at the time as well thought, oh, you know, this is it. That's the end of that. Um, we've come up against one of the the giants, um, one of the giants of of European football, uh, and not a lot of people gave them a chance. But they actually beat them two one at the San Siro, um, and it was Nico Jansen who uh, scored a brace, which is incredible. I mean that that's a, that's an absolutely incredible result. Um, but it was bolstered by the fact that the home leg ended in a nil nil draw, which saw them go through. Uh, now, obviously, you're playing one of the biggest teams in European football, and they're a very, very popular team throughout Europe, into Milan. Hard. Um, you know, you've beat them two one at home, and you're taking them to your home ground. Um, if this was now, obviously, um, for the avoidance of any doubt, in the League of Ireland, uh, Phil is a St Pat's fan, uh, St Patrick's Athletic. Yeah. Um, I support Celtic, and I, I, I follow a number of other teams as well. But if this was St. Patrick's Athletic, um, Phil, you'd be Inter 2-1 at the San Siro and you'd brought them back to your home ground. Would you expect it to be a sellout? It would be... It would be do you know what? They wouldn't play it at St. Pat's. They'd play it at the Aviva because they'd, they'd actually get... they get more fans in. So you'd be mm. expecting about Inter Milan. Like, I mean, Pat's against Inter Milan in, in, in a European competition, you'd be looking at now, this is my personal opinion. Whether they'd all go support Pats or not, they're definitely going to be watching Inter Milan. Uh, you'd probably get 30 odd thousand, to be honest. I mean, that's a fantastic number. I mean, obviously, you know, Celtic's a bit different in, in terms of the numbers and our, our stadium's mm. a lot bigger, but it would absolutely be a sellout. I mean, you're talking 59,000, 60,000 fans. Yeah. At least. Um, and tickets would be getting sold for double, maybe triple face value because. Yeah, of course. You know, but for a smaller team, you know, you, you would certainly expect the fans to come in their droves. Um, the home leg that ended in a nil-nil draw that saw them defeat Inter Milan and go through was attended by only eight thousand six hundred people, which, which I think is, you know, obviously, yeah. I mean, it is quite poor. I mean, obviously, you're 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 getting through to the next round of the UEFA Cup and you've beaten one of the giants of the game. I would expect there to be a lot more, and I would expect people to rally around them a lot more. Um, and I think, in my opinion, anyway, the fact that only eight thousand six hundred people actually attended the game was was a sign of was a sign of deeper troubles but anyway so they, they reached the third round and they're going on this great run and they came up against uh, Fortuna Dusseldorf of Germany um they managed to beat them 5-1 in aggregate 
Uh, so pretty simple affair. Uh, they beat them 2-1 at the right Stadium as well, so they got an away win. Uh, Nico Jansen as well, uh, again on the scoreline, and you know Nico Jansen went on to be a to be a fantastic player. Mm. Um, he's he's a name that's maybe not synonymous with Dutch football, but you know he's certainly up there. Um, great player. So they then drew against uh, Cologne or FC Cologne, uh, also from Germany, who were a much better team at the time. Uh, and they proved just to be too much for SC Amsterdam, so they beat them five one in the first leg. Um, to basically, you know that that's that's going to be it. You know, if you, if you come up against that, so SC Amsterdam took them back to uh, the Olympic Stadium and were beaten three two again. Uh, so they went out of the the the, U, the UEFA Cup. Unfortunately, we was over. The dream was dead, so to speak. Mm. Um, now, as I said, with the lack of fans coming into the game being an indicator of bigger problems, uh, that kind of raised its head again because that was actually to be the peak of their achievements. Um, now, in the 1977-78 season, they were relegated from the Eredivisie um, into the second tier, which is the, the East Divisie. Um, and, you know, for a club that's just been on a fantastic European run and finished fifth in the Eredivisie, you would expect them to bounce back and come straight back up. Uh, sadly, that wasn't to be. Uh, they finished ninth, but they were actually only four points off a playoff spot, so you can assume it was maybe a, a pretty tight week. Uh, yeah. And again, they went into the, the following season hoping they'd be challenging for promotion, but they actually fell uh, further down the table and they finished 16th, uh, three points above relegation, so it was tight. Um, and it's a sign of this kind of decline that you often see, because if you're going into your third season in the second tier, then the little fan base that you had is going to become less and less and it's going to start dwindling. Uh, and that that turned out to be the case because the following campaign was uh, was their last. So they finished 13th, so it's better than 16th. Yeah. Um, but their attendances dwindled uh, because of lack of success. Uh, and they ended up withdrawn from the league and disbanded, which seems quite... I don't know, and this is a thing because you know we'll maybe need to research it a bit more to find out if it was a if that was the only factor. But that seemed to me like quite a quite a drastic move and almost quite reactive. Um, or maybe you know they were they were just looking ahead and and trying to think proactively and think well you know our, our fan base basically isn't here anymore. Um, so they had quite a short history of being SC Amsterdam, but they had some great players on their books. Um, Nico Jansen obviously went on to play for Feyenoord. He scored forty-three and sixty-eight for them, which is fantastic. Uh, mm-hmm. And you know, obviously, you you, you interviewed um, Martin, who uh, was quite a fan of F- FC Amsterdam. You know, he, um, he he wrote a book about them. He seemed quite quite enamoured by the whole idea of them, and I, and I suppose they are. You know, just based on the history, they're quite a quite a fascinating club um, in terms of that short stint they had with the rename. But again, you had this thing where. Teams had merged so many times that maybe the fans have got sick of them and they'd went off to support their counterparts that had reformed as amateur teams, which is fair enough. We can completely understand that. Yeah, um, I think I think the whole story <laughs> with FC Amsterdam is basically there wasn't enough room for two big clubs in one in one kind of city. So you have Ajax, who obviously have now gone on to be the biggest club in Amsterdam, um, and and it's kind of like they they just. The fans just went, oh, you know, we we could work at this with FC Amsterdam, but we don't really want it. It's like they never they never got on board with it. Whether that's because it was a, a merger of two clubs that 
maybe didn't get on with each other, two sets of fans and didn't get on with each other. So they said, right, let's cut our losses and just go follow Ajax. Um, yeah. You know, there, there, there was no definite answer to it. But Martin, yeah, Martin was quite complimentary about them uh, in the interview and stuff like that. Uh, Martin, of course, wrote his own version of Forgotten Clubs, uh, the Dutch League, uh, which there was plenty of clubs to pick from. And there actually is another Dutch club in uh, the book. Um, so we may get Martin on. Uh, to talk about them, but yeah, no, you're you're dead right. Uh, FC Amsterdam, one of the one of the more interesting clubs, um, and it almost begs the question: Could they could, could they come back in some sort of form and and uh, play in Amsterdam again? I think, I think to say that they couldn't would be maybe untrue. Because, you know, obviously there's every chance that they could if someone wanted to found that sort of Phoenix club, if you like. Mm. But to say they would have any form of success or following, I'm not too sure. See, and this this is where, you know, you, you kind of get into themes of nostalgia and historic support and stuff like that. Because say if, say if Motherwell, the two kind of bigger teams in Lanarkshire in Scotland, okay, are Motherwell and Hamilton Academical, right? And that's contested as a derby. And it's even though it's quite small, it's it's quite a fierce derby. You know, the fans yeah. really get behind it. Um and Hamilton and Motherwell are, are quite close to each other as towns, um maybe a 10 minute drive. So say they decided to merge into, I don't know, Lanarkshire FC. Right, we'll go with that. You would still have fans there that said, well hold on a minute, I don't I don't really want to be sharing the sands with people who I've just spent the last however many years of my life shouting abuse at maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Understand what I'm saying. Um, and also, you're you're talking about a club that you know you're completely changing the name, so you're not going to have that same association with the history of Motherwell or Hamilton anymore. They're just going to be they're just going to end up becoming the clubs who were merged. Um, so you have that thing where already you're alienating quite a large part of the fan base, and I can imagine that's maybe what happened with. Um, with the teams that were that merged to form FC Amsterdam, yeah, um, and that you're basically erasing their history t- for this new sort of project where you're going to become the second team in a city. But also on top of that, you've got the aspect that they now they've now been bust for what it'll be over fifty years now. So if they did come back, it's maybe primarily going to be supported not by former fans of FC Amsterdam. There might be you know a few hundred, uh, for example, but. It's mainly going to be supported by people who have only read about them and then maybe don't have the same attachment to them unless it's been passed down to them generationally. So there's yeah. almost like this kind of element of if it did reform and they did come back as FC Amsterdam, they wouldn't necessarily maybe be true to the club who were liquidated in the seventies or who pulled out of the league. Sorry, I should say. Um, I think I think there was a there was a club playing in the lower leagues uh, called Amsterdam FC in Holland. Uh, if my memory serves me right. I, I I'm not sure if they're still around. They never they never obviously touched uh, or got near Ajax. Um, but just for me, who loves a lot, and you were talking about local derbies there, um, it just seems seems a shame that Amsterdam doesn't have a local derby. Okay, they have a derby of fine order, which is quite fierce itself. Obviously, they have a bit of a, a rivalry with PSV as well. But it's just it, it's quite strange to me that a, a, a city like Amsterdam does not have. A local derby, like the Milan derby, for example, or Glasgow derby, um, or yeah. even the Dublin derby, um, it's just, it's just, it's something. Maybe I don't know. Maybe I'm just being a, a romanticist 
uh, with football because I love a local derby. But I'm just wondering even if Ajax fans uh, uh, miss that kind of touch to their season. Or maybe they don't. Maybe they're happy enough to be a one-club city. Hmm. Well, I mean, this is the thing. I mean, just from doing a, a, a quick sort of Google search, um, the population of Amsterdam within the city properly uh, is about 921,000. Okay. Uh, about just under one and a half million uh, if you include the urban area. Now, the population of Glasgow um, is one million roughly, uh, one and a half million if you include Greater Glasgow. Yeah. Uh, whereas the population of the city itself is 635,000. Now, it's quite, obviously, I'm, I'm not a, a Dutch football expert by any means, and it's something that I'd need to look into in terms of the, the landscape of Dutch football as to why Ajax are the only team or the only senior team in Amsterdam or the only big team in Amsterdam, whichever you like to call it. But the fact that Glasgow has such a fierce derby as you know, Celtic and Rangers, but Amsterdam doesn't. To me, seems a, a, it does seem a bit bizarre, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. That that's what struck me when I was writing about this and researching about them. Uh, that's what struck me uh, as one of the big things that you know I, I always knew that Amsterdam was primarily a one club city, but it's not until I I done my research about FC Amsterdam and I was like, this club failed. They could have had a, a big derby. There could have been a huge thing here. Like we could be speaking about the Amsterdam derby. Uh, as as a regular thing, like you know, as I said, like the Milan derby, like the Glasgow derby, um, but for whatever reason, the people of Amsterdam just didn't buy into it, and it's it's just a it's quite um quite an interesting thing. Whether it's a social thing, whether it's an economic mm-hmm. thing, uh, it really is one of those things that I kind of, as I said, I did research, I did look into, um, and it just it's it, it's a bizarre kind of situation. Mm. Um, I suppose it, it really, it really would depend. It depends a lot on on the history of of football within the city and the different conditions that lead to clubs being formed and the conditions that lead to clubs such as FC Amsterdam becoming defunct. But um, if there is anyone listening to the podcast who is an expert on Dutch football or who is you know born and raised in Amsterdam and, and knows about this, please get in touch. Uh, we'd yes. love to hear from you, and we would we'd love an answer an answer to that because it's it's, it's very very interesting. Um, because, I mean, again, this is just off the top of my head, really, but I can't think of many I can't think of many cities within European football who are one-club cities with clubs. Like there's, big there's Nap- Napoli, Napoli are one uh, off the top of my head. Sure. Um, look, I mean, I asked I ask, uh, Martin in the book, uh, in the interview, uh, does he ever see another Amsterdam club or an Amsterdam rivalry happening again? Um, a major derby, and he basically says no. He can't see it happen because the Dutch FA are are the ones not allowing teams come up to the second division yeah. uh, and to yeah. remain semi professional. So there's obviously an economic reason, a financial reason that uh, clubs can't survive, uh, and uh, the Dutch FA are quite wary of that. And they maybe they don't want another forgotten club like FC Amsterdam uh, happening or other clubs merging together. So um, it's quite interesting, as I said. Um, as I said, Martin kind of just says that Amsterdam are 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 popular. Uh, Ajax, Ajax are are the club, and and everybody's got behind it, and there's no no real kind of nobody's going to break that. Yeah, no, it is, it is really interesting. I suppose it's it's you know if another Amsterdam club was to be founded, it would need to have the backing of some serious investment if they ever wanted to keep up with Ajax, and um, if they even wanted to get to the top tier. 
Um, and it would only have really been in a situation like that that I could see that happening from an outsider looking in, of course. Um, but yeah, I mean, I look into the the conditions that, that led to Amsterdam being a one club city. I think would be would be really fascinating. It's, it's something that I, I might do myself. Um, it would really really complement the the book and the the pod. But um, I mean, yeah, I, I, I quite I'm quite interested myself in in clubs that have been born as a result of mergers uh, for for a few different reasons that we'll, we'll talk about on another show. Um, so I'm looking forward to talking more about clubs that have done that because I, I just think it's fascinating how you can take two teams who have two very distinct set of fans and just yeah. completely erase that to create this new thing unless it's been, you know, asked for by the fans um, or to, yeah. you know, maintain a club or, or to ensure its sustainability and longevity. But I, I, I think it's, it's really, really interesting. Yeah, I mean, as I said, again, in the interview with Martin, and he, he's a man, uh, you know, Dutch expert, Dutch football expert, he's written books about this. Um, again, he, he basically just says they're set in their ways. Uh, the Dutch, the, the Dutch FA, the Netherlands, it's it's quite a close, he actually used the word a closed pyramid, uh, where, you know, the big clubs have the monopoly and nobody else has ever come up the ranks and, and it's kind of just set, you know, the, the Premier, the First Division, uh, the Air de Vies, and that's that. There's no kind of open door for any new ideas or new football clubs. So, mm. I mean, we're probably just going to have to settle for a fine art Ajax uh, a rivalry for the rest of our lives. <laughs> it's fine by me. Fantastic derby. Absolutely fantastic. Um, I mean, I, 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 don't, I don't follow a Dutch team by any means, but um do quite like Feyenoord, but um, that's uh, those discussions are for another time. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah fan, fantastic derby. Uh, lots of history there. Oh, great derby! I've actually been to the Amsterdam Arena myself. Uh, oh, so yeah, um, a soft swap for Ajax, uh, to say say the least. And uh, maybe 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 an unconscious decision to put FC Amsterdam in the book uh, and yeah. do my research on it. <laughs> but um, no, look, that, that that's great, Rory. Um, I mean. Uh, a great uh, insight to uh, one of Dutch's, or one of Dutch's, one of the Netherlands forgotten clubs. As I said, we we, we do have another one from the Netherlands, which we, we'll tell the story of uh, in a future episode. Um, so I suppose they're the two clubs that we that we uh, have spoken about in the first episode here of the Forgotten Football Clubs podcast. As I said, there is fifty clubs, uh, all based in the book. Um, and just before we go. I haven't forgotten. Um, the question that we are asking the listeners here is who was Sporting Fingal's top goal scorer in their first season, in their debut yeah. season in the first division? He got 16 goals that season. Uh, we already know it's not Colin Byrne. <laughs> Sorry, Colin. <laughs> um, but, uh, so you can mark that off. We know it's not Eamon Zayed as he wasn't there. But uh, can anybody else, our listeners, tell us? Uh, if you can't tell us, uh, we will... Put, put up the question on our Twitter page, uh, Forgotten Clubs, and all you have to do is retweet it um, and t- uh, basically comment in the comments the name of the uh, top goal scorer of Spartan Fingal uh, f- uh, in their fourth season. Uh, as I said, he got 16 goals. I'll give you one other clue. He was on the books of Blackburn Rovers. Any, any guesses, Rory? No, I, th- I think uh, I think I have the answer, but obviously for the for the sake of the competition, I don't okay. want to say, so I'll, I'll I'll message you I'll message you personally. But I think think I know the answer. I think I do. Okay, uh, we'll perfect. 
Well, hope, hopefully the other is not the right answer because if you get the answer uh, right, as I said, uh, comment underneath uh, the, the tweet that we're going to put out. Uh, retweet it, of course. And uh, we will then pick out uh, one of the uh, people who have given the correct answer and they will win the prize of uh, a free copy of Forgotten Football Clubs, 50 clubs around the world. Uh, it will be sent out to you, free of charge, posters, all that. It doesn't matter where you are in the world, it will be sent to you. Um, but you have to answer obviously the question correctly, retweet it, and uh, obviously put the answer or the comment underneath the tweet that we put out. Um, and that loves you show that you listened to this show. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no uh, no Googling either. We'll know if you've cheated. Um, but yeah. And he's, he, he had... Um, had quite a quite a good career around Ireland, but the looks of things quite uh, quite nomadic almost, um, with uh, a couple of stills in England. So that should uh, that should give you guys a clue if you're struggling to think of it. But uh, yeah, if you we'll put the tweet up. If you retweet it, if you comment under it, and if you leave us a like, um, we will look through the correct answers and we'll pick a uh, pick a winner through a, a kind of random name generator sort of thing um and then we'll get that copy shipped out to you so uh i think that's quite a fun way to to end the first episode it's been it's been fun it has it has already and i can't wait for the next one where we'll be talking about two other football clubs and uh, we will randomly pick them uh from the book um so please if you have the book uh do read it um and if you have any suggestions uh, of who you want to listen to um you know uh earlier on uh, please do give us them as well um, and please interact with us on Twitter and Instagram, we have an Instagram as well and um, thank you for listening, cheers Rory Take care